The scripture reading for today is taken from the letter to the Philippians, and we'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, the verses 5 to 18, after which we'll be focusing on the words of our text, the verses 19 to 30, considering Timothy and Epaphroditus. But we begin with the lead up to all of this as Paul builds the, the building that he is creating here through his word. He begins with this foundation of Jesus Christ. And so we'll begin there as well. After which he begins with the, follows with the call. And then he also points to God's work beyond themselves. So let's begin at chapter 2, the verses 5 to 18. And you'll be able to find that on page 1349 in your pew Bible. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, Children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you all had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. 
but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's easy to tell people how things should be done. When you are looking at things from the outside, it can be very easy to see flaws and to try to correct things. But when you're in the middle of it, it gets a lot more difficult, doesn't it? You can reach a stage, you can reach a point in which you feel, can I actually change? Will I actually change? Or is all of this effort for nothing? You know for yourself it's not just a question of getting over it or simply dropping a habit or doing this or that. It can feel overwhelming and it can be discouraging. God knows this to be true for his people as well. And so he doesn't just leave us with theology and theory. Rather, he encourages He brings his grace to life for us by bringing us people who have been touched by his grace. We could already see this earlier in the letter to the Philippians with the Apostle Paul. In the midst of their persecution, Paul teaches them to find joy. And then his own life is put on display to put flesh and bones on what he teaches. Regarding his chains in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, It's become evident to the whole palace guard that my chains are for Christ. And then in verse 18, he says, In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Joy comes even out of his chains. Regarding the threat to his life, in verses 20 to 21, he says, In nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then in verse 25, he also shows how this points to joy, being confident of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. The point is here not to draw attention to himself and to put on display how great he is before everyone. But the point here is that he is presented as a walking, talking example of one whom God has already worked of the power of God at work within someone, both to will and to work. This allows him to choose joy, even in challenging times. Now in chapter 2, he has moved on to a different subject, and he's begun teaching them unity through humility. 
encouraging them to reflect on the life of Jesus Christ. He has called them to humble themselves as they interact together. In this, he hasn't given a path to conflict resolution, but rather he points out that no path is going to work if neither party is humbled, as they were currently already showing in verse 14. There was disputing and complaining going on. And he was teaching them that any path towards resolving conflict can flourish and bring joy as the different people involved humble themselves, leaning on Christ and seeking his glory as their common cause in in the way they interact together. And so he calls them to be like-minded, to bear with them the mind of Christ. Seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Approaching each other with his humility, verses 5 to 11. And wanting his name to be glorified will lead to a beautiful outcome with a reason for joy. If all parties seek it wholeheartedly. Not because you want to. might not even have the desire at all. But as you humble yourself and submit yourself to God and even submit your desires to God, your desire to be right, your desire to have your own way, and more. As you humbly pray before Him, He can and will work even to change your desires. That's what we saw in verse 12. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. He's also powerful enough to change your will. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. Such an attitude doesn't just affect your conflicts in your life. It grows to a point where it impacts all of your life. As you carry this with you and as God works in you to change your desires, your will, and what you do, your work, according to His good pleasure, that's going to lead to change and to joy. Now, that's easy to say. You can almost imagine the Philippians grumbling. In the situation that they're in, they are in the middle of conflict. They are in the middle of difficulty. Theory and theology is all well and good, but Paul, look at my situation. It's all well and good for you to come with your ideas, but look at the real world. This is the real world. But that doesn't slow the Apostle Paul down in the slightest because he knows how God works in the real world. And he to, to encourage the Philippian church to move forward in trust and in obedience, he now gives them two more real-life examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus, men who have been touched by the power of God. In our reading today, we are shown what happens in a life that leans on this principle. Trust and obey the God who is at work in you to will and to work. Now, again, we do not look at these because we somehow see them as examples to follow, but we look at them because we want to see God's hand at work in them. We are looking at them as those through whom Christ is living. And so, too, we gain encouragement that he can do the same for us. 
And so we'll look at this under the following theme. Timothy and Epaphroditus, God at work. This passage at the end of chapter 2 is more than just housekeeping. These two men are reminders to them of the power of God. The Apostle Paul is deliberately building up, beginning with Christ, and then moving on to what he teaches them, and then showing what he has taught them in action as these men are brought to mind for him, as he speaks of them and the gifts that they will bring to the Philippian church. First, we are introduced to Timothy. We read in verse 22 that Timothy was a young man who was well known to the Philippian church. And when we look to Acts chapter 16, we can see that, yes, this is true. When the apostle Paul went to Philippi for the first time as a missionary, he took Timothy along as part of his mission team. His first introduc- their first introduction to Timothy was him on his maiden voyage, so to speak. He was a new, fresh face. We also see in verse 22 that they were aware of the relationship between Timothy and the Apostle Paul, that it was as a son with his father. The Apostle Paul was a father figure for him during this time. It seems his dad was not in the picture, at least as far as his faith was concerned. Only his mother and his grandmother. And yet, this didn't rule him out in the least. Your life situation, the presence or absence of your family, your friends or relations, doesn't rule you out from the love of God at work in you, from his power and his ability. God still worked in him, leading him to treasure the gospel, leading him to desire to live it out. And as he worked with Paul, as the Apostle Paul looked at him, uh, or, or was to him as a father to a son, through Paul's imaging Christ and speaking of Christ, Timothy grew and grew in the faith. God worked in his heart. And now he was fully grown. And the Philippian church was telling them, was, was being told that he was to be received as Paul's representative. Listen to how Paul describes God's work in his life. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. Timothy's trust in the Lord has led him to look out for his brothers and sisters out of a genuine care for their state. Not seeking his own benefit. This was the kind of thing that led to a growing conflict. Seeking to be right, seeking to be above those who are around. But he was showing the humility of Christ. Not seeking his own benefit, but becoming genuinely caring and loving A person who wanted to see God glorified in the lives of the people in the Philippian church as he has been glorified in his own. Flesh and bones on what happens when God is at work, both to will and to work. 
Second, we're introduced to Epaphroditus. And it seems that he was ex-military and ex-pagan, a convert to Christianity. We read in Philippians 4 verse 18 that he had been sent from the Philippian church with a financial gift for Paul's ministry. So he was someone who was well known to the people in the Philippian church. Though his name Epaphroditus means belonging to the goddess Aphrodite, this former pagan is now embraced by the Apostle Paul as a fellow worker, one who belongs to God. And listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the change in his life. The Apostle Paul describes the change in him from being a soldier for Rome to becoming a soldier for Christ. Unlike Timothy, who is described as a son, Epaphroditus is described as a brother, which is to say that Christ has joined him to Paul as a fellow member of the family of God. This is a man who has been set free from dead paganism to serve the living God. And by God's grace, he was so devoted in love to the service of that gospel that he worked himself to the point of death. But in humility, he held the Philippian church in so much regard that their hearing the news and their being concerned on his behalf brought him more distress than his own actual sickness. And you can see that in verse 27. His service, his Christ-like humility, his concern for them all was the result of God and the gospel working in him. God at work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this resulted in him seeking their highest joy in the service of Christ and wanting nothing to distract from that. This is what happens when God is at work to will and to work. Because of the witness of their service of Christ, Paul says in verse 29, to receive them in all gladness and to hold them in esteem. To see them as examples. To seek Christ as they do. To be encouraged by the gospel on display in their lives. These two men are two examples of unity and humility. They are united in their zeal for the gospel. This has led them to close ranks for the sake of the kingdom and to become a reason for joy for the Philippian church. But they're not held up as examples of what to do to be right with God. Notice how soon they come after Paul's praise of the work of Christ in verses 5 to 11. These men are held up as examples of what the work of Jesus does in our hearts. They are reminders that God does come through. It was God that led a boy whose father was out of, a, out of the picture from a faith perspective. And a former pagan who was devoted to the goddess Aphrodite to become powerful witnesses for the gospel. By God's grace, they trusted and obeyed, and God was faithful to them. They were set free from the chains of their pasts. This was not their work. This was God's work. 
And because God worked in them, they became reasons for the Philippian church to find unity and joy over these two brothers. Their unity and joy was found in Christ as they lived out Christ in their lives. As we take part in the Lord's Supper in the next few minutes, we're going to be confessing the same thing. We confess that our unity and our joy is found in Christ. And we're also confessing as we take this bread and wine that we can't find the strength to pursue this in ourselves. If we are to change and to break free the chains of our past, of our sins, of our experiences and how they shaped us, we need power beyond ourselves. We need Christ. And as we take and eat, as you eat the bread and drink the wine by faith, you are reminded that we have communion with Christ. Not only are you confessing that you need him both to will and to work in you, that he does change desires and lives, but you also, in communion with Christ through faith, are confessing and are receiving that very power in yourselves. This isn't the theoretical. This isn't just theology. This is the flesh and bones or the flesh and blood, you might say, on the gospel. We are encouraged and we are reminded that God is at work. He changes lives and he transforms real people, and he transforms you and me as well. Praise God that he commits to this, and remember that as you take part in the Lord's Supper and take part in faith. As you come to the table today, remember who binds us together, who is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure, and praise God. Amen.